Um, Hello? Reeve McGahey. Reeve. Hey, how are you? Welcome to the show. Thanks. How, how, uh, how'd you run today? Uh, no good today. No good. Well, that happens. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you've kind of grown up in this game, so... I mean, my first natural question would be, how did you get into horse racing? Um, but for you, did you really have much of a choice? Yeah, I had I had the option if I didn't want to. But I grew up kind of uh, really starting out when I was younger, going to the races with my mom uh, up the river down the Turfway and around Kentucky. And then whenever I'd go visit my dad, going to the barn and the races with him. So, uh and then uh, my uncle was training horses around here too, and my stepdad was on the racetrack, so kind of grew up. Who who was for the races who, everywhere? Uh, who was your uncle? Charles Lepresti. Oh, Charlie Lepresti oh, of Wise Dan fame. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I, I remember when your dad wasn't Shug when he was still Claude. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I, I'm kind of aging myself here, but um. I remember when he first started coming to Saratoga and he was training for Loblolly, and I, I remember the first horse that I remember thinking, man, this guy's pretty good, was a, a filly named Classy Kathy won the test. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, I've heard plenty about it. And he had uh, another horse who, who's kind of been forgotten over the years, uh, a horse named Van Landingham, yeah. who, who was a really, really good horse, who, who was a graded winner on, on, on both surfaces, and... Uh, it's funny because some people are born before their time, and, and some horses were born before their time. Van Landingham was born these days with the amount of turf racing and dirt racing we have. Uh, that God, there's, there's no telling. He, he would be an absolute superstar. But um, I think yeah. that, that was pre- he was probably racing before you were born, right? Yeah, Van Landingham was a little bit before I was born. He's early 80s. I was born in 89, but uh, I've heard plenty of stories and watched street plays. <laughs> Stuff like that. Yeah, he's kind of a forgotten about horse. He's uh, he a really good one. Yeah, he, he he sure was. It's funny. Your dad is remembered, you know, for for all the classic uh, horses he's had and Easy Goer and and um, Inside Information, uh, you know, Personal Ensign. But uh, Van Landingham was one that that uh, it, it always sticks in my mind. And uh, like I said, he was before you were even born, which makes me feel really old. <laughs> uh, so. Did you uh, you went to school? Um, you you did you graduate from? Uh, you went to University of Kentucky. I went to UK. I, I didn't graduate. I started. Uh, I kind of started working on the racetrack and uh, got to the point where I just liked doing that full time. That's what I was more interested in. So uh, yeah. my parents were a little reluctant, but finally they kind of accepted that's what I wanted to do, and I was supportive of that. Um, so- I mean, did your mom and, and, and your dad, did they encourage you to get in, in, involved as a trainer? Or, I mean, they both know how difficult it, it can be, or did they kind of let you make your own choices? Uh, they, they let me make my own choice. I mean, I wouldn't, they certainly didn't encourage it. I mean, they never discouraged me and said, don't do that, but uh, they also, like, they never made it seem, I mean, they, they were realistic about you know, if you want to do this, it's not going to be easy, but uh, we'll support you if you want to do it. But uh, it's sort of that kind of thing. Where, where are you currently based out of? Keeneland. 
you have horses at Keeneland. Uh, uh, how many horses are, uh, do you have right now? Fourteen. You have. Uh, you just won a race, right, Ellis Park? Yeah, we won one on Saturday at Ellis. What kind of race was? What kind of was a two-year-old uh, race? Two-year-old main special. Uh, who was uh, Miles Grass? Who was that horse by? He's by Union Rags. Union Rags for for what was? Uh, who's the owner? Joe Allen. Joe. Okay, great. So, um, who's your biggest owner at the current time? Uh, I have. I guess probably Joe Allen. I have a couple for him, and then I have a couple for Andrew Rosen, and both of them I kind of have a couple uh, waiting to come in, so they probably have the majority of them. Who? Um, so tell me this: who uh, who did who else did you work for outside of your dad? When I first started working on the racetrack, I started working summers for Owen Hardy. He had a string uh, in Kentucky for the summers starting from April until they went to Saratoga. So I started working for him because uh, senior year of high school we had to do a senior internship for our last, like, six weeks of the school year. So I, I did it there, and I just continued on through the summer. And uh, even then when I went to college, I'd work summers for him until I finally started working kind of full-time January of one winter and uh I carried that on for about six months, and they left to go to Saratoga, and I started working for my uncle then, Charlie, for, uh, that lasted for about five years, and, uh, and I worked for my dad for about five years. Did, uh, did Charlie have Wise Dan when you were working there? Yeah, he was, uh, when I started there, Wise Dan was in, going into the summer of his four-year-old year. He just won the firecracker, when it was firecracker, at, uh, Churchill, and then, uh, yeah, he kind of got on his roll. Yeah, he, he was uh, he was some horse. It's funny, you know. You talk yeah. about horses that are, that are kind of sometimes get forgotten, and, and I mean, people. It was wasn't that long ago, and people kind of don't bring his name up when they're talking about the great horses of the the past decade or so. But he certainly was. Uh, he he had to be in, up in the top two or three. That's especially for, for grass horses. Yeah, I mean, for consistent as he was for almost. Four years, so uh, he's obviously talented. He won a state going three quarters as a three-year-old against older horses, and only got beat two lengths in the Breeders' Cup sprint as a three-year-old in the dirt, and then to go on and do what he did, long on the dirt, long on the grass, and just a good horse, no matter what surface or distance you put him at. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. But uh, yeah, they, they don't; those those types don't come along that. Uh, they can do kind of anything. They just they just don't come along these days. Everyone seems like they're a specialist nowadays. Horses do one thing, and a lot of them do one thing really good. But there's not a lot of them that can that can sprint and can can go longer on on both surfaces. And that was no. really, I think something well. that he was really good at. Um, so you went to work for your dad. Was was he? Do you think he was tougher on you than you would have normally been on on, on a on someone that wasn't his son, or did he treat you pretty much the same as, as everyone else? No, I think he treated me pretty much the same as everyone else. I don't think he was any easier or any tougher. I think it was about the same. You know, your, your dad's a guy that I have a lot of respect for. It, actually, he um, he was one of the trainers that when I went for my my trainer's license. 
um, I don't know what I don't know how it goes now, but back then you had to get three trainers to sign for you in order uh-huh. to be uh, to get a, a, you know your trainer's license the first time. And and uh, I, I had Alan Jerkins, Bill Mott, and and, and Shug McGee who were uh, were my three trainers to sign. I said, man, I, I wish I had that piece of paper still. <laughs> but um, yeah. you know, one of the highlights of my of uh, and, and I don't want listen. I don't want to just talk about your dad. But one of the highlights of uh, my winter was getting to spend some time with him, talking about uh, you know some of the some of the glory days, you know, some of the horses uh, of, of 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 the past, and uh, it's something I, I believe that the business doesn't do a great job in, in keeping a lot of those names alive. But uh, but uh, no, I, I did appreciate uh, the time that we we got to spend a little bit, uh, you know, a little bit of time we got to spend this this winter. Uh, I, I didn't like it when we had the flood, but uh, you know things yeah. things happen. That that was yeah. No, that the was, flood this year was pretty bad, but it's kind of a learning experience. Once you kind of go through it, now next time something else like that happens again, then I know how to handle it. Yeah, you're you're pre- you're prepared to handle a, an overnight flood. <laughs> yeah. <exactly. laughs> Uh, I got the call at five o'clock. We have a big problem at Gulfstream. It's flooded. I was like, "What do you mean it's flooded? It's flooded." And I really didn't understand till I got there, and I was like, "Oh my god! I mean, your your guys' horses were were up to their knees or past their knees." Yeah, we were. Yeah, that wasn't much fun. I, I was driving in, and uh, I don't know, it was like four thirty or something, whatever it normally is, and uh, I noticed when it, there's some pretty deep spots on the road. I was driving into and. I knew we'd gotten a big storm. I kind of woke up for a briefly, but then I fell right back to sleep. But when I came out that morning, I was like, hmm, must have got a lot of rain. And then uh, I pulled into Gulfstream the first time, and I took a left by the Pegasus, and I looked over there, and there's a truck the same size as me just floating in the parking lot. <laughs> so I was like, well, I'm not going to be able to get in here. So I went around to the back, and it was only really only deeper there. So, yeah, and then we had to go and park and Obviously, it's still pitch black out, and wading through waist high water to try to get the barn and check on the horses. And but for the most part, they were all pretty good about it. I mean, they were kind of just all standing at the front of the stall eating hay. <laughs> yeah, it, it was uh, it, it was it was a bizarre it was a bizarre uh, a bizarre morning for sure. Um, now you started on your own this uh, was it was it January February? In January, yeah, we went to. Oakland around the middle of January. So, what is your circuit planning on? Uh, you know, what are you planning on uh, on your circuit being um, as of now? I mean, I know that you know with the COVID issues that things have kind of forced people's hands uh, on where they can go. But um, what's your plan? Yeah, I'm just kind of waiting to see how the rest of the year goes. The next couple of months with some of the younger horses, and uh, as to whether or not we're going south or we'll stay in Kentucky and try to uh, build up for the spring but uh, probably try to find somewhere south Tampa somewhere around there uh, and figure it out from there and then try to be based kind of around Kentucky for the most part other than that right right yeah Kentucky's uh, Kentucky's purses are, are, are pretty attractive and um, you know I had Jason Barkley on earlier and we were talking about Turfway and how with Churchill coming in and uh, and renovating it and and, and redoing the poly track and, and uh the purses when they when they bought it and, and they they announced all the changes obviously there's been a whole lot of changes in the world since then but the purses were going to be really really good and uh 
you know, it, it, I just wonder, um, you know, for some of the Kentucky outfits, if, uh, if you'd consider maybe leave, even leaving horses, some, a string of horses there for the winter time. Yeah, we'll definitely, uh, stay on how many we have and all that stuff. We'll, we'll leave some in Kentucky for our turfway, just like you said, with, uh, the surface being renovated and the purse money that'll be available there. We probably have some horses that'll fit better there too. So, uh, yeah, the whole they're making the whole circuit pretty strong here in Kentucky. So, Turfway was kind of the weak link for a little while, but now uh, with Churchill buying it, they seem to be putting some work into it. And like like you talked about, the purse structure is getting stronger to where there's really more money staying here than there is going south. So, uh, they're, they're making it hard on you to leave. Yeah, the Kentucky circuit has has really um, raised itself in stature over the last few years, and uh, and they're doing things properly. Um, it just seems uh, like, Ed, from a horseman's point of view, they're they're giving you real strong reasons to stay and, and not to leave. I mean, I know you're probably going to wind up with some turf horses that need to go south, and you might have a you never know might have a good three year old that might think about getting on the triple crown trail that maybe you want to get more steady training in down south than you would up up there but uh yeah it's certainly something to, to consider that it, it wasn't really something to consider a few years ago yeah I, th- I think a lot of some of the bigger barns around here will will at least leave uh leave a string around uh, how many i don't know but uh i think they'll at least have a presence through the winter and it just kind of makes too much sense not to sure uh, when it's so expensive to go to Florida or, or just ship down south, and if you can stay home and run for more money, then um, yeah, no doubt. Do that. Tell me what when you when you went over from assistant to the boss, what was the biggest change um, that you found other than you know having to pay people instead of getting paid? <laughs> I think just uh, you're the last line of defense. So uh, you know when you're working for somebody, it doesn't always fall necessarily on you. So uh, going from you know doing doing a job for somebody to doing it for yourself, and just not having that uh, other sounding board to lean on, or uh, kind of takes some of the pressure off. You know, it's kind of all on you at that point. Right, right. How much, um, how much do you do you rely on uh, on your dad or your uncle? Do you ask them for advice, or do you kind of just think that it's better just to figure things out on your own? Oh uh, no, I mean I talk to my dad every day, so uh, and I see my uncle Keen, I see him every day too. So. Yeah, no, I rely on him. I mean, I try to figure things out on my own and learn from my own experiences and. There's certainly a lot of days that I try to remember what what we did at my dad's or whatever, how we did something or how we handled the situation. But, uh, yeah, it's nice to have uh, be able to make that phone call if I need to. Yeah, you, ha- you have uh, some pretty good resources <laughs> at, at the, the touch of a button. Um, what are your goals? I mean, where do you see yourself? I, I know you just started. I mean, you're, you're what, seven months in, so... Uh, I'm not trying to uh, put you on the spot, but like, where do you see yourself in, in five years? Like, where do you want to be? 
Um, how big do you want to get? Do you, you know, your dad, what's the biggest your dad ever got? You got like 70, 80 horses? Yeah, the biggest amount, most of my horses we had there probably was around 60. Yeah. Kind of when all the two-year-olds would come in and we still had, had kind of everybody was there at that point. So, But that was usually around 60 was the number, 60, 65. Uh, I think that's a pretty good number as long as you can kind of keep things under two roofs. And uh, where it's manageable right now, which is not an option right now, anyways. But I don't have interest in having more than that right now. I think kind of trying to take my time, build up slowly, and uh, hopefully one day that'll be an issue. But in a dream scenario, I'd love to have 50, 60 horses and have uh, 30 at Keeneland and 30 at Churchill, long 25 at Churchill, whatever, something like that. Do you, mostly um, the, the horses your barn's made up of now is, is young horses, maidens and such? Uh, yeah, for the most part. It's kind of a mix, but yeah. A lot of, uh, a lot of younger horses. I'd say about eight, two-year-old, six-older horses. So let me ask you this question. You've seen racing from a, a different viewpoint than a lot of other people would have. So from your own standpoint... Um, and I know you've only been training for a brief, of, you know, a brief time. But what is um, what is something that you think that that we can do better from the horseman's standpoint? Not not exact, you know. I mean, we could, there's a lot of things we could do better um, that we have no control over. But from from a, a trainer standpoint, where, where's a where, where would improvements be made? And, and you know, saying this as a young trainer, you don't have to name names or anything, obviously. But but um, like. Where do you see uh, uh, the weaknesses in, in the racing game from a horseman's standpoint? Uh, from my standpoint, I, just, I don't know if we really advertise ourselves well enough as a sport. You know, I think Fox Sports does a really good job, uh, the Saratoga feed. I mean, I enjoy it. If I'm not at the barn, I enjoy sitting around and watching the races from Saratoga all day. And I mean, maybe I know not everybody's going to enjoy that, but it. it it kind of gives storylines into each race, and, uh, you know, there's a little bit more connection to watching each race versus just watching, you know, one stake uh, every two months or whatever, you know. It kind of lets you know a little bit more about all the people in the game and uh, and the horses themselves and gives you a little bit more of a connection to what's going on, and I think that's when you kind of uh, create more of a, an interest in I just don't know if we do a good enough job of uh, putting racing out there because there's a lot of interesting people in the sport uh, and a lot of interesting horses, too. So I think uh, the more people know about it, I think the more they'd like it. I think that's a great answer, honestly. You know, one one of the um, kind of led off the show today saying that I'm going to have a bunch of young up-and-coming people on, on today because I think that there's a lot of stories out there that aren't told and there are a lot of interesting people and there, there's a lot of um there's a lot of focus on the top guys and and you know it's obvious why and they they win a lot and uh, more than ever we see the same eight nine guys in all the stake races so so much attention gets focused on those those people and sometimes being that we're in a world where horse racing doesn't literally doesn't have any daily beat coverage uh for newspapers anymore and when i was a kid um 
every newspaper had a racing writer. I mean, at least up in the, you know in New York, every, everyone did. They all had uh, the the Post, the Newsday, the Daily Newsday. They had multiple racing writers. They were covering the races every day from the track. They were writing about what what happened that day. They were writing about uh, upcoming stakes, news, this and that. And when we've we've lost that because. I mean, obviously, the media business has changed a lot. Newspapers are barely holding on. But we tend in this business to to really hyper-focus on the same names over and over again. And I just think that, you know, guys like you, um, guys like Jason, um, you you guys have something to say, and you're saying it from a a unique standpoint in that you're – you guys aren't old and jaded and you you see things in a little different um, th- through a little different prism than than other people do. The people that usually get uh, their opinions and, and and their stories heard. So I, that that's one of the reasons uh, I I really like having guys like you on, and and, and I'll certainly have you on again. Um, and uh, I, I really you know interested to hear you know how you how you view things because you're from a. a a different generation than a lot of the people that control the story in racing, and uh, and sometimes I, I think the younger people really, really have a lot to say, and and uh, have a lot to say uh, that uh, that we need to listen to. Yeah, I think you know a lot of people my age, like they all, like a lot of my friends. I mean, I grew up with a lot of people that whose families are in the industry, but even my friends that. Uh, have no connection to it other than that they know me and know a few of my friends. They all love the races. Like, they love to come to the races. They love to watch the races. But, uh, you know, you hear about it for this month or that month, and then you don't hear anything again. And, and th- even they don't fully understand that, you know, racing's going on year-round, and uh, there's a lot more than just the Triple Crown that you hear about, you know. So, uh, you know, and they, they enjoy following and they enjoy watching it. They just uh, they just wouldn't know as much about it just because you know, it's not out there. I mean, you have to go find it to to know about it right now. Yeah, yeah. The Triple Crown gets a, a, a tremendous amount of coverage, and um, that that certainly has has benefited the business in some ways. In some ways, it, it's kind of hurt the business because it's it's taken so much of the focus, and it's made kind of an into an all or nothing thing. And, and you know, we have these big stake days now with. Uh, six, seven, eight graded stakes where uh, they, in Saratoga especially, they take away from um, they take away from the the other days, and and you don't have that solid feature anymore. And I, I think when your dad won the test, I, I think that race was on a Thursday. I I, I want to th- say it was on a Thursday. I, I don't even think it was a weekend race at that point. But yeah. um, with, with Classy Kathy, not not uh, I think he's won the test a bunch of times, but. But no, well, I remember growing up, you know, you, even even this is just 15, 20 years ago. You, all the big Saturdays at Saratoga, they were on ESPN. The Mother Goose at Belmont, and all those races were on ESPN. And uh, now I remember the Budweiser long shots so of what they they do a five minute special on that stuff like that. And <laughs> yeah. nowadays, I mean, there's no sports going on basically from March to middle of May, and uh, you couldn't even get a headline on ESPN about 
horse racing or anything like that. Yeah. Only if we do something bad, which is kind yeah, of exactly. sad. Yeah, exactly. I mean, but the only time it reaches the end is something bad happens. But, and that, that's fine. But uh, like I said, I, just need, I think the more people know about it and the more people see about it, the more inclined they are going to be to follow year-round rather than just for those three races out of the year and maybe Breeders' Cup Day. <laughs> I have a funny story about the Budweiser long shot. I had an owner, and this was on Preakness Day, back when ESPN was still covering it, and he wanted me to enter in this filly we had in one of the undercard turf races because he wanted a table. And the only guys that got access to the table were people who entered in the, in the graded stakes races. So we entered this filly who had run about, I think, like two weeks before at, at Churchill. Well, not, not with the intention of running. This guy literally was willing to pay the entry fee to get a table. So, so um, I get a call about 8 o'clock in the morning, and it's from Randy Moss. And Randy's like, listen, uh, I really like your horse today. <laughs> I'm going to make her the Budweiser long shot. And I said, Randy, she's a real long shot because I'm looking at her right now, and I'm looking at her, you know, I'm outside her stall, and, and I'm in Louisville. <laughs> I'm not in Baltimore, so you better find somebody else for that race. And he's like, oh, man, I really like your chances in here. Uh, and I told him the story. I said, "Man, the only reason we even entered was because because uh, um, the owner wanted a table." And now I feel stupid. <laughs> now we, we sh- I, I should have been looking at this race all along. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but uh, yeah, those are th- those are the things that happen in, in racing. That behind the scenes, that sometimes it's hard to even admit. <laughs> but yeah. um, but anyways, listen, Reef. Thank you for for giving us some of your time, and uh, we'll check back in later in the year and. Uh, Hopefully, um, you can knock off a couple winners coming up soon, and uh, all all the success. Uh, we wish you all the success in the world. All right, well, thank you. All right, everyone, that was Reeve McGahee, who just won a race at Ellis Park the other day, and uh, unfortunately didn't didn't do so well. He had one in, at Belterra, which used to be called River Downs, but um, a little known fact that. River Downs was Luke Kryposh's favorite track. I can't tell you how many times he tried to get me to go there on an off day, on a Tuesday. Come on, Chuck, let's go up there. We'll drink some beer and we'll bet on the races. I'm like, Luke, I am not going to River Downs unless I absolutely positively have to go. But um, he was a great guy, a great announcer, and uh, um, his legacy lives on. Guys like Pete Aiello and and guys he mentored, but... uh, he was uh, he he was something else, Luke Kryposh. He was uh, he was a real guy. I mean, still miss him. Um, 